The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program contains important but graphic material. These topics are designed to foster discussion but may be objectionable to some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This program is a training program on human trafficking, sextortion, social media exploitation, and child pornography based on actual cases. Our mission is to eradicate human exploitation and bring predators to justice. Now, here is the host of the program, Opal Singleton. Hello, welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This is Opal Singleton, your host, and we come to you each week from Southern California. This show is brought to you by Million Kids, M-I-L-L-I-O-N, Million Kids. One of the most important things you can do if you want to be educated about human trafficking and sextortion, uh, social media exploitation, child pornography... Go to Me and Kids on Facebook. Just go to Facebook, find Me and Kids, and like us. Also, we run a website that is exploitedcrimes.com, and all the shows are archived there. If you just go to exploitedcrimes.com, and you'll go over to where it says listen, check down there, and you'll see all the episodes from the first segment that we did, and now we're deep into the second segment. We've done about 20 of these shows now, and it's just simply amazing. I got my numbers this week, and I am just deeply humbled. I mean that sincerely. I appreciate every one of you that listen. There's over 8,000 of you now that listen to this all around the world, in China, in Japan, UK. I cannot believe the number of people that are listening in the UK. By the way, you can archive this show. Just ask us for an embed code. Write to me at opal at me and kids, opal at me and kids.org and ask for an embed code. It is absolutely free. That allows you to provide free human trafficking training to everyone that follows you on your website. There is no charge for it. It's just my passion to train the world, especially missionaries around the world, people in third world countries. We're really, really at a unique time in history. If you think about all the people that are out there that are displaced right now, the refugees, and it's affecting countries even that don't have refugees, those that are migrating there, those people are especially uh, vulnerable to exploitation. Well, the last two weeks I have been talking about child pornography, and I'm still deep into it. We are getting prepared over the next few weeks to launch a global program to combat child pornography. It is really amazing what is happening in that industry. And I'm not a wuss, I'll tell you. But as you know from my last week's show, we just in less than an hour was able to come up with 10 cases that involved over 40 million images of child pornography. And I've been thinking about that all week. That's heavy, heavy on my heart. Uh, 40 million, it's not 40 million images, it is 40 million children. Now, let's suppose each child just had 10 photos of themselves. That's still four million. What on earth is going on in our world? Well, as I got started into this show, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is something that's normally kind of hard and cold and dry, and that is law and how legislation and the law affects these acts. Now, I'm going to just tell you, I'm going to put a bunch of ideas out there. I am not an attorney. And I value any attorney who wants to give me feedback. You can even be critical because, trust me, I don't know everything about this. But what I do know is I know enough to know we do not have the laws we need. Some of the laws we have don't work, and others of them have huge holes in them. And then as you begin to exercise and understand what is happening in global technology, 
our laws aren't even scratching the surface. So we kind of fumble around and we create some laws here and there, and then other countries really go off the deep end by having almost no legislation that protects. So we truly are, in my opinion, creating like pioneers crossing the prairie, if you will. So as I looked at child sex trafficking, sex extortion, child pornography, I say to myself, what is right? What is wrong? What can we do different? And I just kind of want you to go on that journey with me. Well, I, I would be remiss if I didn't look at the first case, the biggest case that's out there about law, and that is the FBI and their playpen case. So what happened there, for many of you that don't know, is that the FBI basically got a lead on a case of child pornography in the dark web, and they pursued it, and they really took it to outrageous limits. Before I really get into that, one of the things that I want to share with you, if you're new to me and kids and and this exploited, uh, exploited crime show, is what is happening in child pornography, because this case is really based on child pornography. Many of you have heard me talk about the dark web. Well, there's the, the about 3%. If you think of the Internet as a bucket of water, I think that's a good analogy. About the top 3% is where we live. We have Google, Chrome, Bing, and like that. And we already have enough challenges going on with how do you prosecute cases there because there are such things as cyber currency, which you can't track and like that. But that top 3% is about where we live. Then you have the deep web. That's, you know, Nexus, Lexus, uh, government agencies, NSA, like that. And then you have the dark web. Well, I live in this world, as many of you know. I do massive amounts of research. That's kind of my contribution to this, is to educate myself on every possible thing I can and then try to share it with you. And, you know, there's just not enough information about the dark web. I was reading an article this week about uh, Terbium Labs, T-E-R, that's T-Tom, E-R-B-Boy, I-U-M. They put out an article all this week saying, you know, the dark web isn't really so dark and there's a lot of plenty of good activity. And yeah, there's some gun runners and arms dealer and drug dealers. But for the most part, it's maybe only about 50%. But in the very small print, and I I caution you with this because in the very small print, as we look at this, there's this line that says, unfortunately, exploitation exists in measurable quantities. It's present more than extremism, than more than weapons, and almost more and equal to fraud. This is a legitimate and real concern on the dark web. What they're saying is they didn't include child pornography because it's big, it's prevalent, It says right in here, what refers to any content that is pornographic, violent, and otherwise abusive or illegal involving children. It passed on the information, but it didn't include it. So, you know, you have to read this stuff very, very carefully because I value that organization. I look to them for information and intelligence to understand what is happening. So what happened here is that in 2014, and these, this information is coming from two sources. One of them is The Hill by Ali Breland, I believe it is. The other article uh, is someone that I really have quite come to cherish and follow. His name is Mark Rumolo. No, I don't have that right. Mark Rumold. R-U-M-O-L-D, and his organization is the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And I'm going to share some of that with you because I am not a legal expert, but I do want to understand. What got my attention on this particular case is that we knew that in 2014, the FBI received a tip from a foreign law enforcement agency that a TOR, T-O-R, hidden service site called Playpen was hosting child pornography. And the tip ultimately would lead to the largest hacking operation, the hacking in this case, being done by the FBI. Now, they went in there. What they did is basically found the people that were using the site and began to arrest them and take control of it. And, you know, so think about this. That's a little bit like an undercover cop that goes in there and starts to take uh, control of Well, let's say he meets a girl in a motel and starts to negotiate sex. And as he got into there, you know, they actually took control and then they began to operate this site. 
they actually miscom they figured it out because the original owner had misconfigured it and the actual IP address was publicly available. So they kind of went in based on that. They operated the site for nearly two weeks and allowed thousands of images of child pornography to be downloaded while they operated the site. Now, The Hill came out this week and said this wasn't the only site. They actually ran 23 child pornography websites and and allowing people to be ensnared in there. What they did in there is that they kind of, finding this vulnerability, they sent out malware. Now, malware is, for us people who are non-technical, is a way to go out as a virus and it tells them who's out there. Before it's through, they have discovered about 214,000 pedophiles. Do you guys realize what I'm saying? Last week, I did 10 cases and it came to almost 350,000 pedophiles all finding themselves together. So on the one hand, I'm excited about what has happened here because we knew it was bad, but we never guessed how bad. But let's look at this from a legal point of view. They violated several uh, Fourth Amendment rights on here as they began to look at this. And as they looked at it, what they did is they actually improved the site so it allowed thousands of more users than normal to be able to access this site. So think about it. You have your United States government, your FBI operating a child pornography site, souping it up so it can be even a better performer. And now they're luring people in and beginning to charge them and go out and arrest them. Well, this site, this case is going to all levels of court, and it's a fascinating case to watch. Uh, As we look at this, Mark, that we talked about, has analyzed this from a Fourth Amendment uh, perspective. And what I want to do when we come back from the break is kind of read to you uh, Mark's perspective about how this affects Fourth Amendment rights. On the one hand, we're kind of excited because we found the bad guy, right? At all costs, we found the bad guy. I mean, 215,000 pedophiles that are literally collecting millions and millions of images of children being violated. You can't help but be happy that you found them. But at the same time, we've kind of tromped all over our rights and what happens in the future if that's to happen to us. So we need to take a look of how all of this technology going on around the world is going to be prosecuted in court. So I'm time for my first break. I hope you'll stay with me. We're going to start looking at the Fourth Amendment part of this, the next section. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest-growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers, will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. listening to exploited crimes against humanity if you have a question or comment please send an email to opal at millionkids.org that's o-p-a-l at millionkids.org now back to exploited crimes against humanity here again is opal singleton well hello and welcome back this is opal singleton with exploited crimes against humanity Normally, I would give you a call-in number so that you could call in, but this show is being pre-recorded this week because I am off to Lexington, Kentucky to speak at the International Conference on Missions 
specifically about the issue of global child exploitation and what we can do about it. So we have been uh, analyzing the FBI case, the playpen case, as it affects us legally. So on the one hand, we're very, very excited because we knew it was bad, and now they've showed us how bad. But when they did it, they kind of trumped on these people's Fourth Amendment rights. And so we need to take a look at this. What happened is that the FBI sent out this malware. And when they did this, and I am reading from Mark Rumold at Electronic Frontier Foundation. He's somebody who I really have been studying his work and I admire his line of thinking uh, because it's pretty balanced. And I think that that's very, very important. All of us activists have a tendency to go out there and take this on at any cost. But we need to be careful because this whole concept of global policy and global law having to do with technology and how it's affecting us around the world is very, very important. You know, this is a whole new generation. And for the first time in history, we've been all allowed to come together. And I believe how we handle this both with our teenagers and educating them to stay safe, and then how we handle it with policy, global policy and law, is very important. So each use of the government's malware, because they went in, they planted this malware, and they basically think about putting dye in your veins and then seeing where it goes. Well, that's kind of what they did. They put malware out there to see where all this went. Now, according to Mark, each use of this caused three Fourth Amendment events to occur. Number one, the seizure of a user's computer. Because think think about this, most of these people had no idea the malware was going into their computer. Two, a search of the private areas of a computer. Again, nobody realized it was happening. And three, they seized private information from that computer. So the government's malware seized the user's computer and specifically the execution of the government's code on the user's device meaningfully interfered with the intended operation of the software. It turned the user's computer into a tool for law enforcement surveillance. By hacking into the user's device, the government exercised dominion and control over the device, and that type of interference control constitutes a seizure for Fourth Amendment uh, purposes on here. Next, the government's code searched the device to locate specific information on the computer. In other words, they not only went into individuals' computer without their knowledge, they looked for that child pornography that was on there. The operating system ran on the computer and they penetrated other identifying information. In this instance where the search occurred is central to the Fourth Amendment analysis. The search was carried out on a user's personal computer, likely located inside their home, but it could have been on their personal cell phone. Given the wealth of sensitive information on anyone's computer and the historical constitution protection normally afforded people's homes, a personal computer located within the home represents the fundamental core of the Fourth Amendment protection. The government conducted a seizure with its malware, copied and sent that information back from the user's device over the Internet and back to the FBI. So in essence, they came into your home without a search and seizure warrant. That is what they're saying. By deploying malware against a user this way, it's the same as if the search was carried out in the physical world, a police officer physically taking your computer away. So this is unprecedented. We don't know how this is going to happen. Basically, this is going to go up various levels of appeal over time. So I'm not going to take it any farther because I want to get on to some other cases. But I really want you to understand just how intricate all of this is. Because I often get people who contact me, and especially if you look at me and Kids' Facebook page on Friday night, I think Susie, Susie Carpenter is our media marketing gal, and she's just the finest in the whole world. I'm so proud to serve with her. She is very, very good at what she does. Anyway, she finds 
the most important cases, and she posts them on there for you. And you can always tell on a Friday night, I think she gets the worst cases on Friday night, and you can always tell on who's hitting the sauce because you start to see, you know, castrate the whatever and hanging by his whatever and like that. And we do our best to keep it clean. But what is fascinating is the wide disparity in the charges. It just simply tells you, and and the next section, we're going to really go into that, but it really tells us how uh, uneven justice is right now in prosecuting criminal cases. It also tells us how difficult it is for law enforcement. You know, I'm not defending the FBI action in here. In many ways, I'm, I'm really proud that they did it in a way took that chance because how else do we find out who's in the dark web and how do we begin to prosecute them? But they did violate people's rights and it is important that we get the law right because we are laying the law for future generations and we must stand by the rights to privacy. The internet is a fascinating thing because nobody really owns it, at least right now, unless it gets signed over to the UN. So at this point, it's a fascinating case study, and I try to look at each of these cases with an open mind. One of the cases that took place just a couple of weeks prior to the election that I found fascinating was that uh, Kamala Harris, the Attorney General of California, my home state, and also Ken Paxton, the Texas Attorney General, took on the Backpage people. Now, for those of you that are new to sex trafficking and like that, you need to know that Backpage is, in essence, the electronic auctioning of people's bodies. It is a website. There are many, many, many of them out there, and many of them are extremely pornographic. But in essence, if you think of Craigslist, if you've been on there, think of Backpage as a kind of an adult version of Craigslist, and they have been operating for a long time. Now, when I first got involved in going on Backpage, and as most of you know, I spend time on Backpage because I am looking for uh, helping people look for their missing child. Uh, This week, I'm looking for Nicole Klein to help Lisa Klein uh, because uh, actually Nicole is 18 now. She's an adult, but we know that she has had some real legal challenges out there. And so I will go on Backpage to help parents who are looking for their missing child. I always kid out here. I don't know if you folks in China probably don't know what I'm talking about, but I always say it's no worse than a Carl's Jr. ad because over here we have hamburger ads where the ketchup for my hamburger is dripping down sleazily down her naked body and you think oh my god you have to do all that to eat a hamburger you know it is reasonably pornographic quite frankly and so what has happened here is Backpage they arrested the CEO of Backpage these attorney generals did and they arrested them for pimping a minor pimping and conspiracy to commit pimping um, and like that Their version of this is that 99% of their activity comes from worldwide income on their adult listings. And I can tell you that's true. I don't think anybody's really selling their living room couch on there. They're raking in millions of dollars for trafficking and exploiting vulnerable victims. And they, they have created this court case. There's actually over 100,000 pages, and it will be a test case. And the the rebuttal to that uh, on this is that the Backpage people came out and said that it's strictly uh, an election ploy on there and uh, that they can't take it seriously, that they are going to take it to court, that they believe they will keep taking it to appeals on here because they believe that their Fourth Amendment rights have been violated, that they have a right to offer the service if they want to. Now, you would think that I'd be all over this because I'm an activist and that I would want these people shut down, but I'm going to tell you that I'm not so sure that's true. It is definitely disgusting. It is definitely the electronic auctioning of people's bodies. But I don't believe the shutting down of Backpage is going to make that big a difference. Number one, they have already opened two other sites offshore, knowing that they were probably someday going to be approached on this. They've already had their MasterCard and Visa capability taken away from them, thinking that that would put them out of business. But all that happened there is they turned to Bitcoin. 
And of course, Bitcoin is non-traceable and it's anonymous. So how does law enforcement make a case? On top of it, out here in California, up until recently, Backpage was pretty cooperative with our law enforcement. They would actually help girls who were trying to get out of the light by providing their back ads and helping them prepare their court cases with providing evidence. So now that they are being attacked, they, for the most part, will either go offshore or I'm predicting they will open up in the dark web, use live streaming and Bitcoin, and simply operate outside of their own website and be able to capitalize on it that way. So the other problem here is that by taking them on and them not cooperating, more and more of the photos that are being posted will simply be put out on child pornography rings where they are sold for cash. So there are upsides and downsides to this kind of thing. I am not sure where this is going to go, but for those of you who are interested in law and laws that pertains to child exploitation, you may want to look at that and, and follow that. Because I believe that it will, it will not stop it. They'll simply open up under other names. And those children will continue to be violated, but it'll be harder for us to find them. And more importantly, I believe they're going to open up under other sites in the dark web. For instance, like Facebook now has a legitimate site in the dark web. Golly, that was a fast segment. It went so quick. And I've got more to tell you. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. We're on a break, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest-growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers, will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. listening to exploited crimes against humanity if you have a question or comment please send an email to opal at millionkids.org that's o-p-a-l at millionkids.org now back to exploited crimes against humanity here again is opal singleton Hello, this is Opal Singleton again. You are listening to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. You can follow our archive shows at exploitedcrimes.com. Go on there, you'll see listen and poke down there and you'll see page after page of, of uh, archive shows. They're all titles so that if you want to educate yourself and get involved, you can do that. It's absolutely free. By the way, that's great for social workers who want to educate themselves, and it's also great for students who have a paper to write. So up till now, we've been talking about uh, the case of the FBI and Playpen, and we also talked about the arrest of the CEO. What we're really looking at here is how the various legal systems affect uh, global child exploitation and U.S. child exploitation. So on this segment, what I want to do is turn first to global exploitation, because this is a challenge, what is going on here. And I, I just want to kind of open your eyes, and not that I have a lot of solutions, but, you know, we will create solutions once we understand the depth of the challenge, and that's why I'm sharing all of this with you. One of the things uh, many of you might know is that I work with Rafa House, R-A-P-H-A, Rafa House, that means healing in Hebrew, and they operate out of Thailand and Cambodia and Haiti, and I am on their board. And I actually lived in Cambodia for four months and was their acting country director, and what an amazing 
exercise that was. I, it really was life-changing. Last night, I happened to see the movie Bot, B-A-H-T, that's the Thailand currency. I was at a, a church in Chino Hills, and a uh, very fine church, by the way, and uh, they were showing that movie. By the way, Rat House also has another movie that you can obtain for any organ- organization event called Finding Home. Finding Finding Home, and it is the story of three girls that that uh, journeyed through Raph House. The reason I bring this up is because one of the things that's legal is um, it, that comes to mind when I talk about the legalities of things and what's right in the law is that we often get vigilante people here in the U.S. and people who go overseas. You know, it's not up to me to determine whether God called them for that and whether they're doing the right thing. But I do want to give an opinion. It probably won't be a popular opinion, but I'm going to give it. Is watch out for legal uh, for vigilante activity, especially here in the U.S. Every now and then, you get a group of people that wait outside a motel. You know, they're going to rescue a girl, or they go to Cambodia or India or you know, a myriad of other places, and they rescue kids. Now, you know, if they are, in fact, have a contract with law enforcement and the local law enforcement is with them when they're doing it and they actually have a plan of action to get this girl to a safe place and make sure that whatever they do is, in fact, legal and will hold up in a court of law, then I don't have a problem with it. But I'm going to tell you that it's very difficult to have people come in that are not law enforcement. As you all know, I work with the Riverside County Sheriff Department here in Riverside. I have a contract with them as their training and outreach coordinator for the task force, the Human Trafficking Task Force. These cases are very hard to make. And so if you have vigilante activity, if you have people doing this that are not part of law enforcement and you don't have a law enforcement or a district attorney style uh, element in it, it's very difficult to make. I share this with you because at one point in Cambodia, I was standing in a Cambodian prison. We were visiting a lady that had been put into prison. She was obviously not in her right mind. She had been abused far beyond uh, the a human being's ability to cope. And as I was standing there talking with her, I looked down and there was a little four-year-old girl with her. Now, this is a male-female prison. You're not separated. So you know that woman's life was living hell. I honestly think that's a human rights issue to put a woman, women's prison in with men's prison. These men were guarding her. Everything in me wanted to grab that child and run out of there. I realized she was probably born in there, and I couldn't help but think, you know, that if her mother had sold an older child, that this girl was probably being violated. But I did not grab her because we have to follow the rule of law. You see, whenever Rafa House goes in and works with a rescued girl, they work with the police, they work with international justice missions, IJM, and they do it legally and appropriately. They do that because they want to be able to make a case against the perpetrator. Yes, we must rescue these girls, but we must make cases to get that perpetrator off the street. And actually, in Rafa House's case, they pay for all the legal services. They help her get her court case. And if she gets a settlement, which many of them do, they do not keep that money. They put it in a trust that the girl can live on it for the rest of her life. It should be her money. That is justice. And it needs to be done that way. So I just want to tell you that don't believe you can go to foreign countries like Cambodia and rush in there and just take a girl out of a brothel and escape and that'll be the end of it. It won't. We need to do it legally with law enforcement, make a case and take that case to court and get that girl justice. Now, I also want to talk about some of the challenges with global trafficking and getting these cases and how to prosecute them. The case of... uh, of the FBI playpen case really opened my eyes because they got a search warrant in Quantico, Virginia, but their first offender was in Oklahoma. So there's all kinds of challenges with search warrants and how do you make that work? 
But what happens when you have a guy sitting in Milwaukee and he orders up a live streaming event of a child in the Philippines to be violated? You know, one of the reasons they do this is because they can actually have control in a live streaming event. They're using cyber currency, so it's not trackable on the making the case with money. And on top of it, in you know, whenever the live streaming event is over, if they have not recorded it and put it out on a child porn ring as a video, then it's over. And how do you follow that? And one of the reasons they do this is they can control what they're asking that child, how they're asking that child to be violated. And so as we look at this, I really want to understand what is happening out there in global law. One of the things that caught me by surprise was the big deal going on in both the Philippines and in Turkey. Just two weeks ago, Turkey voted to make the age of consent for sex 12 years old. It has been 12 years old in the Philippines. So this guy sitting in Milwaukee ordering up a child to be molested, if she's 12 and a half or 13 years old, you know, they won't prosecute because of the age of consent. And that's a challenge. How's that work? I mean, he's a pedophile, no doubt about it. He's sitting in a country where violating a 13-year-old is is wrong. And yet, the girl that's being actually violated is only 13. And so her country says that the age of consent is 12. And therefore, he hasn't committed child pornography. One of the things is heavy on my heart is what is going on in the Philippines. Now, if you follow the news at all, you know that the leader there is really, really anti-American. And the society is starting to be closed off there to what is really going on. He's actually murdered several people who were drug dealers rather than bring them to justice. I read an article by Emma Botha that was saying that literally in the Philippines, it's a billion dollar business now. It's the number one global source of child pornography and the epicenter of the live stream sexual abuse chains. They described how children as young as five and six years old are performed, forced to perform several sex acts several times a day. They transfer the money through, through cyber currency. So, You'll often see cases there where, in fact, they are being uh, violated by their own children. Philippines is really a high target because they have high English, they have good internet access, and a good, strong money transfer system on there. And so those are all factors in what is happening. You can get a child on a live streaming show there for $3 for the whole event, and you you actually can go in and direct what is happening to this child. So there are massive contradictions what is happening here in the Philippines with the laws, and they don't have the appropriate laws to be able to combat this. The same thing is starting to happen in in, uh, Turkey, because you have all of those refugee kids that are being put in those big camps over there, and they're being violated by the older children. Just literally tens of thousands of them are there, separated from their family, and being violated. And if that starts being live streamed, then how do you get the cases to go to court? If that child's over 12, according to their law, then they are not a victim any longer. So this is complicated, isn't it? If you can't trace the money, if you got a parent selling a child, if the child is 12 and a half, if it's taking place over here, but the FBI can't identify who you are because they can't figure out, unless they use malware, who you are and what your IP address is, do you get how complicated this is? But you know what? We can't be wusses. We can't be we got to take this on. We need an army of people. We need legal experts. We need our young people to grow up and be global policy experts to take a look at this and figure out how we create laws, create global policies, create treaties to protect our children. I believe with all my heart that within 24 months, this will be the most lucrative crime in the world as drug cartels figure out how to process $4 million in 10 minutes, and it'll not be one iota of traceable. 
Come with me on this journey, folks. This is Opal. If you want to send me an email, tell me who you are. I'm Opal, O-P-A-L, at millionkids, M-I-L-L-I-O-N, millionkids.org. So stay with us. The next section, we're going to look at laws for U.S. trafficking and how it challenges a victim to be able to recover. Stay with us. Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. listening to exploited crimes against humanity if you have a question or comment please send an email to opal at millionkids.org that's o-p-a-l at millionkids.org now back to exploited crimes against humanity here again is opal singleton hello this is opal again at Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. We are taking on the challenge of how do you develop appropriate legislation to be able to address all of these issues. We've been talking heavily about global uh, child pornography and also child uh, exploitation, can't say that word, um, especially over in the Philippines and Turkey. But I want to talk now about what a victim goes through here in the U.S., We're probably as sophisticated as it gets around the world, especially when it comes to legislating crime and trying to find ways to do it. But there's a huge disparity in what takes place out there in these sentences and how we go about doing it. And so especially when it comes to victims of minor sex trafficking, now, California has just passed some new laws. They had Proposition 35, and now they, they have a new law that um, has come out. And basically, it measures the victims. It, it uh, prohibits law enforcement from disclosing victims' names and gives immunity for those that are 15 or younger having to testify from inside a physical courtroom. So our theory is if you can't consent to sex until you're 18, you can't be a prostitute. I'm not sure why they chose the age of 15. That, that is an interesting thing. But as we look at this law, there's good parts and there's bad parts. And it, it's a tremendous attempt, and I, I really appreciate the fight that it takes to get this done. But as you look at it, I realize the, the reality of what is happening here. Because they're basically saying that if you're under 18, you're automatically a victim. And quite frankly, our Proposition 35 said that. And this is true of many, many states that are out there. Some of the problems with that, though, is that the minute that you're a victim at age 18, the mirror side, the reverse side of the reality of that law is that we can't bring them in and hold them for their own safety. Now, truthfully, I'm going to tell you that our task force is really the one that I deal with. They're just the best of the best. These are men and women who care deeply about these kids. They got they carry pagers. The pagers. Nobody's had a pager for years. They carry their cell phones. <laughs> I think I'm putting in too many hours. Anyway, they carry their cell phones 24/7. You know, they're not 911. But if they see a kid in trouble, they'll do what they can. These guys all have kids their own, and they want this child to be a victim. However, many of them are extremely drugged. 
and they're they're dangerous. They're dangerous to themselves and others. So they do what they can. One of the challenges of this law is that we can't keep the kids. We can't force them to accept the services. Some of these kids, you'll see them. They come in. They've been beat up. You know, they've been bruised up. They've been you know, treated horribly, and that pimp is sitting right out on the curb waiting for her. And they'll send a bottom it girl into her and say, you talk to these people, you're dead. And that girl is like a magnet. That victim, you know, she's 15, 16 years old. She's really in bad shape. We're doing our best to make some sense out of this with her, and she will go right back. We have seen instances with these kids that some of them will come in six, seven, eight, nine times before they begin to get it. And so that is one of the challenges there is how do you keep a child out of the life if they are so controlled by this guy, they won't turn on him. Either they're so violated, so abused, or in love with the PIM that they go right back to them. So it's an interesting law, I agree, that they're a victim, but there's kind of a downside to that about how do we get the child to stay long enough that we can talk some sense into them. One of the things that triggered this particular show is an article that I read. It was on our Facebook. It might still be right up the, uh, the top side. It says, the other side, sex trafficking survival struggles to rebuild life. This is posted on KHOU. And I, I read this story in here. It uh, is done by Kelly Rabon, K-H-O-U. And it says, the new Texas law is aimed at helping survivors enough. And this survivor spoke out. She used the name Nicole because most of them, you know, want to protect themselves. But quite frankly, this is a lifetime journey once this has happened to you. And you're never really completely safe because so many times you're owned by a gang. And even if they send your pimp to, to prison, they have buddies. So I don't blame her for using a fake name. She said she showed up for a photo shoot on here, and what happened was that it was in a motel room, and before she could get free, she couldn't even step out of the hotel. He started telling her the rules. I don't even decide what I want to wear. You're telling me what you want to do with my hair, those earrings. That's not going to work. We didn't even go to a studio. So she went in for what she thought was a photo shoot, and immediately she is being exploited in a horrendous way. What came after the photo shoot changed Nicole's life and sent her down a path from which she and many other human trafficking survivors are struggling to return. She said immediately they took the photos and posted her on the adult services section of a market online marketplace. Well, we just talked about them. That's our folks at Backpage. She was hustled from city to city and pushed out on the street. She said at first, the very first day I had to do 18 men. That day I had to sleep with 18 men and he told me if I wanted to leave, I would give him a certain amount of money and he'd let me go. So I thought, okay, I'm really going to have to do this. She gave him the money, but he didn't let her go. Eventually, she slept with as many as 40 men a day and had a $1,500 quota set by her pimp. How do you legislate this, folks? How do you ever provide justice to a girl like that? How does that work? Well, before it was over, she was under his control. She hated herself. She had scars on her body. She was raped. She was hit. She was beat. She was choked. She finally saved up a little money to get out of the life. But what happened to her? She couldn't get a job. She had a rap sheet a mile long. She's labeled as a prostitute on there. She was left homeless and panhandling. She lived in her car. She, she slept in grocery lot stores. She read her Bible. She had no place to stay. She couldn't get a job. The Texas law was drafted so narrowly that any relief wasn't going to apply to her on there. And so eventually she got out of the life. But she is appealing to us to take a look at these laws. I'm going to ask you to come along with this journey with us. We so much appreciate you following us at Exploited Crimes Against Humanity, getting involved, educating yourself. This is tough, tough business. We need real leaders, and we need them to educate yourself, be willing to look at it, and share this information with others. You know, I get up every day with a passion to say, 
never again should this ever happen to another woman, another guy, another child anywhere in the world. The only way to do this is to educate ourselves and share this with others. It is not a perfect world. The minute you step into child pornography and child sex trafficking, if you think we're going to be able to legislate our way out of this, it probably isn't going to happen. But I am grateful for the people who led the way, the people who to did took the time to change the laws, the people who are reaching out there and and you know, finding ways to arrest these people and make cases. I appreciate you following the rule of the law and doing what is necessary to find these these victims and do what we can to come alongside with them. Just like this young lady named Nicole, I mean, she fought a lifetime and she needed warriors like you, like me, to come alongside of it and find a way to get the laws to work in her favor get her services, get her safe, and and educate others so that they don't fall prey to this. This is a massive undertaking. It is the work of me and kids. And I so much appreciate all the people who follow me and kids all around the world. We can do this. We can do this in your country, in your state, in your county, in your city, in your church, and right in your home. You know, it just takes being a warrior. And we need each and every one of you to share this show. Tell your friends about exploited crimes against humanity. Write me at Opal at Me and Kids. Tell me who you are. That's Opal at Me and Kids.org. Tell me who you are, where you're from, and what you're doing to help another person. Stay with us. We'll see you next week. Next week is Thanksgiving, so we'll have a pre record, but we'll see you the week after. Take care. Thank you for tuning in this week to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Please join your host, Opal Singleton, for another edition next Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have another important discussion next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.